Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of the currently unnamed podcast that will probably be something like William S. B. Talk Sports. Uh, as of today, my my first guest, it is somebody I go way back with. Uh, if you've followed me on me, my whole media journey, goes back to the days of Puckheads United, uh, about over to Fan Sided, then eventually to where I am now with the Hockey Writers. He's since moved on from there. Uh, he's doing his own thing. But today we have Alex Hobson. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you, Will. It's uh, it's good to be here. And yeah, like you said, a nice little full circle moments after uh, going from the days of Puckheads United and blogging about random fifth round picks like Dimitro Timoshov and stuff and uh, playing Chell and eventually getting us to where we are right now. It's uh, it's an honor to be the first guest on this show. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we've definitely come a long way from your days hating Mika Sabinajad. I still hate Mika Sabinajad. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I still hold grudges. Don't worry. I guess as a Maple Leafs fan, you kind of have to hate everybody, right? Yeah, that's right. Everyone hates us, so we have to hate everyone. Hey, that makes sense. I mean, you do have uh, three players currently over a point per game, so there's a lot to be happy about in Toronto as well. That's right. <laughs> Even if they are paid a lot of money. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, Speaking of which, we should probably talk about their current points leader, William Nylander, and his new big deal. What do you think about that one? Um, you know what? I think that with William Nylander, it was one of those things where you you can probably look at the deal itself on paper after the fact and say, yeah, that's too much money. They, they you know, you can probably make an argument that Nylander shouldn't have the highest grossing contract in the NHL right now. And I think it would be pretty safe to make that argument. But I'm going to use the same logic as I've used for every other signing of a star player that the Leafs have made at the time. So Mitch Marner, people don't like his deal. I always say, go back to when the negotiations were going on and the Leafs would have gotten so much more blowback at the time if they let Mitch Marner go. Because at the time, you're looking at a guy who is a, who's a Toronto-born player, a guy playing for a franchise that hadn't had star power in the longest time. And I use that same logic for William Nylander and for Austin Matthews. You know, you, it's easy for fans to sit down and criticize the ins and outs of the deal and the dollar value on paper. And yeah, sure. 13, 13 million is probably, I, I said 13 million, 11.5 million. I'm getting screwed up with Matthews. I can't even think right now, but you you look at, you look at William Nylander's contract. Yes. The, the, the deal 11.5 million is a little too much and probably not going to exactly live up to that deal. At least not, every single year of his contract. That being said, I still think it was one of those things where, you know, you look at the Leafs right now and where they've come. And I know that they haven't really had the playoff success to back things up outside of that first round win last year, but there was a time not too, too long ago where Phil Kessel led this team in points with 55 and you've got a guy who's currently got 39 goals before the all-star break. You've got a guy with, a, I, I don't have the stat on me to confirm, but I think Nylander's crossed the uh, 55 point mark. And you've got a guy, you've got stars who are doing things in Toronto that are pretty much unheard of. So I think that while the deal itself on paper might not be great. Yeah. William Nylander's up to 61 points in 46 games. Yeah. So I, I, I undershot him there, but Either way, I think that with just considering where the Leafs came from and where they're at right now, I think the number one thing was extending their window and giving themselves as much opportunity as possible. 
And while I'm not going to say that 11.5 million is fair value for like perfectly fair value for William Nylander, I think that number one priority, especially for someone like Brad Living, who had just walked into the organization this year, was getting him signed long term. And uh, I think that at least in the short term, it's going to be a lot easier to forgive than it would have been had, you know, they still not gotten a deal done and it dragged till the end of the year. And you know, they ended, he ended up walking to another team or something like that. So I think that it was just, it was one of those moves that given where they came from, they kind of had to make. And uh, I support them doing it. Even if, uh, even if in the short term, it might seem like too much money. Yeah. And I, with the way the uh, contracts are going to be going here soon with Tavares coming off and then Marner needing a new deal. Yep. I mean, the money's going to be there, especially when you factor in the cap going up. So I think, and you also have to remember, like, Morgan Riley's on a pretty good contract, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So I think if he hit the open market, you'd be looking at probably like a $10 million defenseman. So I think between the two, it kind of averages out pretty well. Well, that's the other thing, too. And that, like a lot of people keep hearing is that William Nylander's getting this raise and think, oh, this. so now the Leafs have four guys making over $11 million. And it's like, no, that's like the only dime that's going to that's going to be relevant is next season because John Tavares and Mitch Marner both have one year left on their deals after this year. And I'm sorry, but you're delusional. If you think that John Tavares is going to sniff anywhere close to the annual value that he had on his current contract on his next one. Right? Like this is a guy like for, you know, everyone's talking about Tavares in a bit of a negative light right now in Toronto, because he's on the worst slump of his career. Like he's, I think he's gone like, uh, like, 10 or 11 games without a goal or something like that. And it's just, it's been tough sledding for the guy for a while. And, you know, the fact that it's taken until six years into his seven year contract to go through a sump like this, I think speaks volumes about how it's panned out for the Leafs. But point is next year is the only year where they're going to have to worry about all that money tied up in their four players. After that, I think it's a lot more likely that Tavares takes a discount on his next deal. And I mean, if he wants to, if he really wants to try and cash out a second time, then I'm sure there's another team that would be willing to take that risk on him, but I just don't see that happening in Toronto. I mean, you've got a guy who's a Toronto-born native. He's got, you know, he's raising a family. He's got a wife and kids. He's 33 years old. I think at this stage of your career, and the only thing you have left to do is win a Stanley Cup, you might as well give yourself the best odds to do it with your hometown team. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of people forget that the core four, I know everyone loves to shine light on how much money they make, and rightfully so, but at the same time, I think that they're, it's not going to be that much of a talking point once John Tavares contract renews on at a different number. And then we'll see what happens with Mitch Marner. That's a whole different conversation. I don't even want to get into, but um, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. We're just going to uh, play the waiting game, I guess. Yeah. And Hey, actually here, technically they only have three players signed. who are going to be over 11 million. You got Mitch Marner at uh, 10.903. So yeah, there you go. There you go. It's pretty much, it's pretty much this. Yeah. It's, 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 it's under 11 million. It's, it's kind of cut from the same plot overall, I guess, even if he, even if he's not making $11 million. I know. I know. I, I just had I to be it. technical there because, uh, yeah, $97,000 less than 11 million. I mean. You ask Leaf fans how much he makes after a bad game and they'll tell you like 14 million. That's how it I feels. Mean, with his next contract, who knows? Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I said, we're not going to get into that late today, maybe later on this season, but there's a lot going on with that. I will say, looking at Cap Friendly here, there is one thing that does concern me about the Leafs' uh, current roster construction, 
which is a lot of trade protection. Like I see, I got Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Nylander, and then Bertuzzi all on no move clauses, as well as Morgan Riley. And they have modified no trades on Domi, Kampf, Yarncroak, uh, Brody, and McCabe. That's a lot of trade yeah, protection. Uh, that, that was one thing that Kyle Dubas was really into for some reason, was just giving guys like no route out if they wanted to leave um, or if like the team wanted to trade them. Um, I guess that you can make an argument to, you know, giving yarn croak a no, a no trade clause or whatever it is probably is how they got him at 2.1 million for four years. But I, I do think that is a little bit of a bit of an odd choice and, you know, Bertuzzi and Domi, it is, it is odd that the Leafs gave him one as well. And I know that's a true living thing, not a Dubas thing, but at the same time, I don't think the Leafs ever foresaw a situation where they would have to move on from Bertuzzi or Domi this year. And I still don't think they're going to, I know that they've been kind of sliding lately and every time the Leafs had a losing streak, the Toronto media does a, does a backflip and says, Oh my God, the Leafs are going to have to trade. They're going to have to trade everyone. It's time to sell. Like this team doesn't have what it takes, but uh, you know, I, I just don't think that any year, especially after signing William Nylander to that contract, I don't think there's a scenario any year during this window where the Leafs are going to sell off UFAs at the deadline. So that's a little odd. I, I won't disagree with that. I'm not really sure why he, I mean, it was probably just extra pull so that they could, uh, you know, extra reasoning to get them to sign those contracts. But I also don't see, um, I don't see why they had to do that to literally every other player on the team, but uh, either way, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes in the future. Uh, David Kampf and Yarn Croak are probably the weirdest ones of that list that you, you went down, but uh, uh, I guess we'll have to see how, uh, how things go from there. Yeah. Cause especially with Kampf, it seems like 2.4 million for, he's a great defensive center from what I've seen, but 2.4 million for a guy who's probably not going to be much more than a fourth line center is a bit strange, especially with the trade protection. Yeah. I, well, that's the odd thing is, and in okay, David Kampf to, to his credit, I would say that overall he did earn that contract. And it, it's hard to say that right now because he's playing on the fourth line and he hasn't really gotten comfortable all year, but when you look at what Camp did in his first year with the Leafs and for most of last season, they had him in a proper role. They had him as their third line center and they had him alongside guys who were good at controlling the puck and good at keeping the puck deep in, in the zone. And, you know, someone like Pierre Engvall comes to mind. And I'm not saying the Leafs should have kept Engvall by any means. He got signed to his own ridiculous contract with the Islanders. But, um, you know, I just don't see a world where the Leafs sign that contract and, and 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 think that you know camp getting a nine hundred thousand dollar raise is going to is going to kill them long term. But that's the way it's looking right now because the Leafs' bottom six doesn't really have much of an identity as it stands, and I think that's one of their biggest issues heading towards the trade deadline. Um, because their third line, which they've 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 been mostly running Max Domi, Kelly Yarncroak, and one of Nick Robertson or Pontus Holmberg. Um, it's a decent scoring line, but Keith hasn't really been able to trust them defensively. So they've only really been playing 10, 11 minutes a night. And then you got a fourth line with David camp and uh, Bobby McMahon and Noah Gregor. And I know you saw a bit of Gregor when watching the sharks last year, Gregor's yeah. a fine player, but he's also one of those kind of like all jets, no finish kind of guys. And he's not hugely relied upon defensively either. So the Leafs don't really have a checking line on their bottom six. And I think that's why camp's contract looks bad right now. 
But again, that's something that can hopefully be addressed at the deadline. We'll see what happens. But uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely looking like a bit of an odd decision to give a fourth line player 2.4 over four years. But you know what? Sometimes you got to lock up your depth pieces. The Leafs haven't really done that in a while. And uh, I guess there's just hope eventually that they'll find he'll find himself a line that he could be comfortable with like he was with Engvall. Yeah. And to follow up on your point with Noah Gregor, it's you have to remember, he was a player who was not qualified by the Sharks, who are currently last in the NHL. Yeah. So there's <laughs> only so many expectations anybody should have for him at this point. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, I think he was, I, I think he's an okay fourth line player. I don't really have any issues with Gregor. Like if you, I always say this when, when we talk about, you know, depth players and stuff, like there are so many other things with the Leafs this year that I have had concern over like Noah Gregor's lack of production is probably like seventh or eighth on that list. I just like, yeah, I think it's something that they're going to want to upgrade on as they get closer to the deadline and the playoffs. But I also don't think that it's a huge deal, right? Especially with the money that he's making. Yeah. It, that's fair. Cause I mean, he's basically on a league league minimum, yeah. but here's a question for you on that list. How high would you have Ilya Samsonov? Oh, that is a good question, and uh, that is ultimately the uh, the main question that's kind of been circulating around the Toronto stratosphere right now. Um, I'm not going to lie. Two weeks ago, when Samsonov was sent down to the AHL and Martin Jones went on a little bit of a heater against the against the Pacific teams, which you obviously saw when playing in the, yeah. those two games against the Sharks, um, I'm not going to lie. I didn't think there was really any path back to the NHL for Ilya Samsonov because the guy has been, had been putting up at the time, the worst numbers in the NHL, worse than or pretty much worse than what we saw from Jack Campbell in Edmonton, except it does didn't look as bad because he's only on a one-year contract Samsonov. So, but by the time that this guy was sent down to the AHL, he, I think had the worst save percentage in the NHL. It was like 862 or something like that. And he had let in four or more goals, I think in like five straight starts or something like that. So it was at a point where the Leafs flat out could not win games and couldn't be competitive in games because even the games they showed up and scored their way out of issues, Samsonov couldn't stop anything. So all of a sudden you got a situation where Samsonov's in the AHL. You've got Joseph wall waiting to come back from injury and you've got Martin Jones, who was originally signed to be this veteran third goalie. And he's, he's, he at the time was kind of playing out of his mind. So at that point, your logic is, okay, if Samsonov comes back, you can't risk sending Jones back to the AHL because there's no way he's getting claim. He's getting, he's making it through a second time. He's definitely getting claimed the second time around. Um, and so it, it, the question at the time was, is that a risk that the Leafs can take? Like is that, can they risk Samsonov coming back and, you know, basically banking on him to go back to the form that he was in before and then losing Martin Jones, who had actually given you quality starts out of the net, which they hadn't gotten at any point all year. So it's a really, really complicated situation. But I think that, I mean, at least based on what we saw from these first three games of Samsonov since he's been back in the NHL, he looks like he looks normal. Like he looks better. He looks mentally there, which I think is the main thing. When you're a goalie in Toronto, you have to have a strong mental game. And it doesn't matter how skilled physically you are. You have to be strong mentally. And I think that a lot of those games or sorry, a lot of the training that they did down in the AHL was, was more mental focused rather than, you know, getting him into games against AHL players. Cause he didn't play a single AHL game when he was down there. So 
I think it's a tough situation and it's a risky situation no matter how you play it out. But ultimately, the Leafs went into this season banking on Ilya Samsonov and Joseph Wall being their goalie tandem. And, you know, I just think that as risky as it's going to be, because, you know, when Joseph Wall comes back, you're going to have to make a decision with your three goalies. I think that they're going to have to try and send Jones through waivers again, because with Ilya Samsonov making 3.5 million or whatever it is, and the fact that he's only on a one-year deal, combined with the fact that this is the guy that got you out of the first round last year, and I know it wasn't entirely thanks to him that that happened, but no matter which way you slice it, the Leafs got out of the first round for the first time in 20 years because, and and Samsonov was the goalie in net for that. So that's got to have some sort of credit with it. Um, It's going to be a really tricky situation, and I don't envy the Leafs for having to make it, but I just think that especially if Joseph Wall comes back and Samsonov has stood tall in all of his starts, you got to take that risk, and we'll we'll see what happens after this season. But uh, I think either way, they're looking at a scenario where Joseph Wall is kind of their guy heading into the playoffs, but if Samsonov keeps playing the way he has been over these past couple games since coming back to the NHL, I think it's definitely going to be a ride-the-hot-hand kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that's what you have to do, especially if you're a team that doesn't have an elite goaltender, which yeah. seems like there's becoming less and less of every season. <laughs> I know. It's weird. You, you know, the, like there was a time when it seemed like every every team that was in the playoffs kind of had to have an elite goalie to make the playoffs. But now you go down the list, the list of elite goaltenders and who's really elite year after year after year. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky, Connor Hellebuck, Ilya Sorokin, uh, Shesterkin, like, typically. Sure, Shesterkin, but, I guess, but yeah, even this year he hasn't been that yeah, guy. He's been down, yeah. Um, I'm tr- Thatcher Demko. I guess you can make the argument he hasn't really gotten a chance to shine that much because the Canucks haven't been good until this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you you go down the list of players. I guess Jake Ottinger, you could say as well. But like the fact that I'm at four or five goalies and I'm struggling to think of more speaks volumes, right? The only one that comes to mind for me that you didn't mention might be like UC Saros, but even then, yeah, Saros too. It's kind of a difficult one of him because he's kind of like in that Pecorino situation where he's just kind of there and nobody's really paying attention. <laughs> yeah, Nashville's Nashville's had that good problem like as long as I yeah. can remember. They've always had too many good goalies, and it's like share some with the rest of us, okay? Come on, Nashville, let's go. They're basically the reverse Maple Leafs. Yeah, no kidding. That's 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 quite literally what they are. <laughs> and speaking of the reverse Maple Leafs. So, just for uh, context here, we're recording this on January 25th. Uh, yesterday, the Maple Leafs played the Winnipeg Jets and won one nothing in overtime. And I believe it was Samsonov who we were just talking about who got the shutout. Uh, it's a bit strange that he comes back in, gets them a shutout, and he gets zero goal support. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's that, that. I think that was just a matter of yesterday being a total goaltending duel. And I have to say, well, watching that game, it was it was painful for most of it. Like the Leafs did not really play that good of a game. I think they tightened up defensively in moments that they had to, but there were also some super careless plays made by made by different guys on that team that led to what would have been sure goals had Samson have not stood tall. Like I'm sure that by this point today, you've probably seen the video of him stopping that two on O on the penalty kill. I have you seen haven't. that? I have okay, so that's there's your homework to go to go watch after we're done recording here because I don't know what happened. I think someone in the someone on the on the Jets penalty kill tried to clear the puck 
And I think it was Nylander tried to stop it in midair with his stick, but instead he 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 slowed it down and deflected it out of the zone, leaving two Jets players on a two-on-o. And Samsonov somehow made the stop. And, you know, it was one of those moments where I was kind of torn between cheering for Samsonov and yelling at the rest of the team for the laziest effort I've ever seen from them in that moment. It was, it was, it was awful. So they didn't exactly play that good of a game yesterday, but they, they, they needed a game like that where their goaltender bailed them out. And that's what Samsonov did. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but the Leafs have this tradition after every game where they, um, they essentially have this, this fake WWE belt that uh, edge who's a big Leafs fan gave to them. And every, after every game, the players pass around the belt to whoever they think deserves it. And Samsonov got the belt for his game, his last game, which was uh, on Saturday or on Sunday, sorry, against the Seattle Kraken. And uh, he tried to give the belt to Matthews for scoring the overtime winner, but Matthews took it and gave it right back to him and said, no nah, man, unbelievable performance. I can't accept this. So uh, it's, it's great to see that the team's kind of rallying around him because I think that, you know, like I said, the mental game is just as, just as if not more important than the physical game in Toronto. And when you have your entire team rallying around you like that and, and hyping you up and supporting you, even when you don't feel like you deserve it, it's, it goes a long way. So hopefully more of the same comes with that. And I think that that will uh, lead to better fortunes for Samsonov in Toronto, hopefully. And then if you were Sheldon Keith, I mean, I think you have to go back them in the next game. You do the Saturday, right? Yeah, 100% you do. Yeah, they got one more game before the All-Star break, and it's against Winnipeg again, this time on the road. So uh, I think that, uh, I mean, Samsonov wants the net back. He's he's been talking about how he wants the net back. I think you have to give him that opportunity. Yeah, and I think the way he's been playing, he's definitely taking advantage of that opportunity, it seems like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he has. I mean, since he's come back, he's he's allowed – I, I mean, he allowed, he, he allowed three goals in his first game back, but that was just, that was a horrendous effort from the Leafs. It was on the second half of a back-to-back against Detroit and they blew the lead in the last couple minutes of regulation. So I'm not blaming Samsonov for that. But then his last two games against Seattle and against Winnipeg, and say what you want about Seattle, but Winnipeg's the best defensive team in the league this year. And I know they're missing a couple of pieces up front, but you know, when you're, when you're that high in the league, you deserve, uh, you deserve your flowers when it comes to uh, teams respecting you. So um, yeah, I think he stood really tall in the last couple of games and we just hope that he can keep it up. Yeah. I mean, to just mimic what you're saying there, when I talked to David Quinn uh, after the Jets were in San Jose, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something along the lines of he feels like the Jets are his Stanley cup favorites. Like he thinks Mm -hmm. they're going to be up there. So, I mean, if you have a coach in the NHL saying that, there's something legitimately great going on with that team. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. They've uh, definitely taken a step forward this year. I wonder if it has anything to do with a certain player that signed a long-term deal with the Kings this off season. You know, it seems a bit weird that, uh, he and someone who sh- shockingly used to play for the blue jackets as well. Yeah. Uh, hmm. for those who may not, might not be in the know, we're talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois, who, uh, has definitely been underperforming, to say the least, since he joined the Kings this year. Yeah, underperforming um, and seems to fall out of favor with his team every time he switches teams, which is not great for a 26-year-old. But anyways, yeah, it's, conversation for a different day. I mean, I'm going to go a little bit more into it, but it was a bit weird. because It seemed to come almost out of nowhere when he wanted out of Columbus. Uh, I think everybody remembers that one shift, I believe it was against mm-hmm. Tampa Bay. 
the torch shift. Yes. Um, and I get it at the time. Not everybody likes playing for John Tortorella. But at the same time, he has a bad reputation in the media and with fans, yes. But if you listen to a lot of his players talk, they say he's the, one of the best coaches they've played for, at least more recently. If you go back further to past the Rangers days and all that, I can't really speak for that. But to just completely quit on your team in the middle of an NHL game is never a good look. <laughs> no, no, it's never a good look. And I, you know, I think it's just, I, cause I remember at the time too, I, I kind of had, you know, I kind of sh- had like, I split my blame for that situation equally. I was like, okay, absolute dog shit shift. I'm sorry. You can censor that horrible shift in performance how, so. from, Okay, well, you can you can edit it out then. <laughs> but uh, anyways, there's a uh, like anytime there's a you know there's a situation like that, especially early on in a player's career, I feel like you're you my, at least my knee jerk reaction is to kind of share the blame because I feel like some coaches don't understand young players, and I feel like co- like Torts especially doesn't exactly have the most shining reputation for working with young players and ones that you know have have their issues with, with compete or defensively or whatever. So at the time I was like, yeah, the horrible shift from, from Dubois, but at the same time, Tortorella, you know, he's at that time, he was close to his end at the end of his tenure in Columbus and torts. When I feel like when he goes from team to team, he kind of squeezes. I remember I heard an, an, a reference on the SDP at the time where they basically compared Tortorella to a fruit and they, or they, they sorry, they compared the blue jackets to a fruit, <laughs> like a pineapple. And they were like, John Tortorella squeezes, every fruit like in referencing the team they're like he, he squeezes every team as hard as he can and at certain points they just run out of juice and at that point i think that he had squeezed everything he could have out of the jackets and it was kind of getting to the point where he was going to move on to a different team regardless but then when you see him dubois go to winnipeg and you see the exact same thing happen there and you see all these things about how the jets have a horrible locker room and how you know guys are like they're the, like there are certain guys that are you know, care more about themselves than care about than care about winning games and stuff. And then you look at this year, Dubois goes to the Kings, who are currently, I think they've won two out of their last 15 games or something like that. And the Jets, meanwhile, look like one of the tightest knit groups in the NHL. I mean, sometimes you just have to kind of, you can't ignore the signs any longer. So, Yeah, it, he's put himself in a very difficult situation moving forward. Like, I don't, for reference here, looking at his stats right now, he has 10 goals and 10 assists in 45 games. And let me pull up his contract real quick, because I don't remember how much he signed for. I do remember it was a long-term deal, but let me see here. He's currently making $8.5 million for quite a while. So if you're getting less than half a point per game for – and I believe for most seasons he's been on the fourth line, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. That, like, I don't know what you do with that contract. Like, you can't really no. buy it out. You, you can't really do much of anything with it. It's never and, a good. It's never a good thing when you're questioning a contract and you're one of like eight. It's never a good thing when that happens. And you want to hear the worst part about it? Starting next yes. season. He has four years of a straight no-move clause. Oh, God. Yeah, so they're going to have to do something really soon, and I don't know if that's possible. So I have a yeah, uh, one of my best friends. One of my best friends is a Kings fan, and he thinks it was just the most unnecessary trade 
I mean, when you look at what Alex Iafalo and um, Gabe Velarde are doing in Winnipeg right now, it just did not seem like a trade that had to happen. Yeah, and I think, to me, what it feels like with Dubois is he doesn't really want to be anywhere except for Montreal. Yeah, and exactly. I don't think Montreal wanted him because of his attitude, because I think from the way I look at Marty St. Louis specifically is if you look at what he went through, like the work ethic, the hard work, like how much he had to fight to not only get into the NHL, but to stay there and have a Hall of Fame career. And then you have Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's quitting on teams left and right. Like, I can't think of a worse match that for what Marty St. Louis wants. No, and it's not great. So, it's not a great situation. Yeah, and it's so basically it looks like here he's like, of course, I don't know if it's what's going on here. But to me, what it looks like is type of player who they worked somewhat hard to get a big contract. They didn't get to go where they wanted. And so now he's just going to kind of mail it in and coast. Yeah, that is what it seems like. I mean, of course, he could always turn it around and make a and make this look terrible in a year from now. But I don't know if I see it ever happening. No, and it's uh, it's definitely one of those things you're going to have to uh, just kind of wait and see how it plays out. I, there's a reason we're sitting here talking about it on a podcast and we're not the ones in charge of making these decisions. Yeah, I mean, but if you were in charge with it, what, what can you even do? Like, there's yeah. nothing to. Well, that's what I'm saying, do. though. Like, I'm, that's why we're not being we're not being paid to do this. So I don't even want to rack my brain and figure out what I would do. Yeah. because <laughs> Who knows? It's just it's and, it's a situ- it's a messy situation for all involved. And I'll say this, the Kings are very lucky they did this now and not three years ago when the cap was basically not moving. Oh, yeah. At least they'll get, at least they'll get some relief going forward. Because um, I'm sure like halfway through this deal, 8.5 isn't going to be nearly as big of a deal as it is now. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, I don't know. Like I don't even really know what to say about it. It's... <laughs> It's going to sink a really young, bright team is what it has the potential to do. Yeah. Um, because if you look at the amount of players they're going to have coming up, like they're going to have some great players like Quentin Byfield's one who jumps to mind. I know he's just now breaking into NHL, but you have a lot of these young players who are starting to work their way up. Grant Clark, he just started his ELC, so there's still some time there. But once these guys are due for contracts, you're not going to have much left because they still have Drew Doughty for three seasons after this one at $11 million as well. Mm-hmm. Did you see uh, like, Doughty's quote yesterday when he was calling out his team? I didn't. Uh, it, damn, you got a lot of homework to do after this episode's done. <laughs> a lot of, yeah, a lot of catching up. It was um, it's probably, was it something like that Devontae's quote a few, like a month ago? <laughs> pretty well. Yeah, he basically, he basically said that I think there's guys in the room who are uh, – more focus on padding their stats than 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 winning games, but uh, I, there was well, more to it, so I won't let, I won't uh, I won't spoil it for you. I'll let you watch for yourself. Yeah, and they are making a lot of the same mistakes I've seen from the Leafs roster construction. Like no move no, no move clause on Kopitar makes sense. Fiala makes less sense. Philip know he was unrestricted free agent, so I guess it kind of makes sense. No move clause for Vladislav Gavrikov. Um, hmm. 
can't say that's the smartest thing in the world. He's a great defenseman, but like, there's got to like teams are just not doing this well. And apparently, they're still paying Mike Richards money. I don't remember oh, what God. that is, but like, <laughs> it shows through twenty eight, twenty nine, but it doesn't say when it ends. So, I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, <laughs> very, very but, odd situation. It is, and. It's one of those situations where you just have to feel bad, bad for everybody involved, like Todd McClellan, especially, because he's the one who's going to be kind of like stuck in the middle of this. I know on, I think, the Steve Dangle podcast, they're like, at what point do you fire the coach? And, I mean, how's it his fault? <laughs> uh, I haven't really seen anything from when I've seen them play that shows that it's a coaching issue. It's just... No, I don't think it's a co- I don't think it's a coaching issue whatsoever. I think that if they fire the coach right now, then all they're doing is kind of giving their uh, kind of giving their players a cop out, which uh, that's been a cop yeah. that's been a topic of conversation for the Leafs in the past too. So I, I I understand it from that point of view. Yeah, like I I agree with you on that Leafs point as well because I mean if you look at the roster that Sheldon Keith has to put out there every night, outside the top six and the top four D. It's not great. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. And that's, and the, like, that's the other thing. Like they're, they, like I said, we've, I could sit here and dissect the, what the Leafs need to fix ahead of the deadline. I don't think it can really all be fixed at the deadline, but people have been questioning Sheldon Keefe's status as head coach. And it's just the, my, my logic is, I don't know what firing him at least mid-season does because I don't see the Leafs going after an external option mid-season. Like, I can't see them all of a sudden bringing Craig Berube to Toronto or bringing Gerard Gallant to Toronto or someone like that. Like, if the Leafs were to fire Sheldon Keefe mid-season, I think that the only option would be for them to hire Guy Boucher, who's already on the bench. And I think, you know, if Leaf fans think that watching Sheldon Keefe hockey is bad, just try and watch this Leafs team under Guy Boucher's system and then get back to me and tell me how much you miss Keefe because... Uh, I, anyways, I don't I don't want to spend too much on that because I don't think that there's a world where the Leafs fire Keith this year. But I've uh, I've been seeing some speculation saying, "Oh, bring in this coach, bring in this coach, etc." It's like, no, you don't want that because if they fire Keith midseason, there's no way they're going after an external option. So, yeah, and we are running a little bit close on time, so gonna have to kind of hurry through the rest of the Leaf stuff. But I think generally, what do you think they're gonna do at the trade deadline? I mean. I've heard from everything I've heard, it seems like they're not really interested in mortgaging, mortgaging the future again, as they've done multiple times. What do you think they do? Yeah, I think last year was a rare case where they they should have gone all in and it paid off for them. They got out of the first round for the first time in what feels like ever. Um, but I just think that this year they don't exactly have a surplus of first round picks to work with. I think that their prospect, their top prospects like Easton Cowan and Frazier Minton, I think they're uh, they're high on those prospects and want them to stick around. Um, that said, I do think they're still going to be buyers this year. I think they're just going to be dipping their feet into the market of depth players. Like I think, you know, they're probably going to want to get someone on their defensive course so that Mark Giordano doesn't have to play every day. I think he's kind of at the point now where he should probably be more of a seventh defenseman kind of guy. Um, but, and then I also think we like, I was talking earlier in the episode about how the Leafs bottom six doesn't really have an identity. I think they'd like to add a good defensive center, someone to put in, on that third line or on the wing, someone maybe like a, like a Lars Eller or a Sean Monahan type, like someone who can play that reliable two way forward game. But 
it's definitely not going to be another trade deadline like last year where they bring in six new players and trade multiple first round picks. Like you're not going after a Ryan O'Reilly this year. You're not going after, I mean, you could go after a Jake McCabe type, but uh, I don't think that they're going to be shelling out any assets unless a young controllable player with term appears on the market. And those don't exactly grow on trees. So it's definitely going to be a wait and see thing, but I think, between the two options, it's definitely more likely that they have a subtle deadline and don't exactly break the bank on uh, trade acquisitions. Yeah, I mean, I could see them going out and getting like a depth forward, like the name that jumps to mind for me uh, with San Jose would be like a Ryan Carpenter down the mm-hmm. middle. I think he, because he brings a lot of effort or even like, a, uh, I'm sure they'd probably prefer center, but even someone like a Justin Bailey who just kind of broke back into the league this year and has been, bringing a lot of effort. I think that's kind of what they need are those workhorse bottom six guys. And yeah, they really haven't been bringing that in. The guy that I've kind of had my eye on in San Jose, and I talked to you about it already is Mario Ferraro. I think that he's someone that the Leafs, you know, just the fact that he's making it, he's got a relatively cheap deal. He's making 3 million, I think for the next two years after this year. And, you know, he's a guy that I think you can slide onto that, onto that bottom pairing and, and give, give Giordano's full-time spot because Giordano's, like we said, he's 40 years old. He was, he, he played pretty well, like throughout most of his deal, but you could tell when the guys turned 40 years old, you can kind of see their legs start to go. And I think that Giro's kind of at that point. So uh, I wouldn't mind Ferrero and you know, who knows, maybe there's a deal to be made there with both him and Carpenter, but uh, it's definitely going to be interesting because this is the first trade deadline would at least haven't had Kyle Dubas at the helm since 2017. I want to say so last time they went, they had a trade deadline without Dubas making the deals. I think they traded for Thomas Placanitz. So we'll see what happens. And I mean, it's actually kind of weird how there are so many pieces when I look at the San Jose roster that kind of make sense in a way for the Leafs. Mm-hmm. Like another one that makes sense would be like a Nico Sturm. Like you're talking about a defensive yeah, he's center. another bottom six, bottom six player. Yep. Like he's got this year and next year at two million. I mean, I don't know how they'd, they'd probably have some like Ryan Reeves back the other way and his uh, broken knees, but uh, <laughs> I don't know how that all would work. There's a lot going on there. And I think it makes too much sense for them to actually make a trade with each other. Yeah, I know. It does, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Like, there's just a lot of pieces I could see kind of supplementing not even, not only Toronto's roster, but the Sharks roster. And one thing I will say about Ferraro is he is currently out with an injury. Um, I believe the way Quinn worded it was for a while. So I don't oh, know if okay. that means past the trade deadline. Uh, I will say when I walked by him on Tuesday, he did have a pretty significant limp. So okay, I don't well, if he's know. got a significant limp right now, then that's probably not great news for the future. But we'll see. Yeah, uh, I think he'll be okay. I I don't remember exactly what happened, but I think he had a bit of a weird collision with the boards, if I remember correctly. But I think he'll be back at some point here in the near future. It just who knows if it's going to be before or after the trade deadline. But either way, he has two more years after this one. So that might materialize later on down the line. We'll have to see. We'll have to yeah. see how that plays out. I think uh, the, the verdict on that could see uh, uh, could see something happen with the Leafs and the Sharks there. But uh, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not paid to think about stuff like this. I'm just paid to speculate. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what we're doing, right? Yep. <laughs> and speaking of speculating. Uh, I don't know 
Actually, this isn't speculating at all, but whatever. Uh, let's talk about the Blue Jays. Well, there was some speculation for them this offseason. Uh, Shohei Otani, how did you feel about that whole thing? That's that. Yeah, that was tough. Um, I knew I, I knew going into that, and and you know the Jays every off season are kind of interest kings. Like you always hear, oh, the Blue Jays are interested in this team, or every time a big big name free agent comes off the board, you always hear Ken Rosenthal or whatever say. Um, it was believed that teams such as the Blue Jays and uh, this team and that team were in the running until the end, et cetera. Like so, I'm not. I wasn't exactly married to the idea of Shohei coming to Toronto. Until all that bullshit happened. Sorry, again, you can censor that out or edit it out. I keep forgetting that I'm. Uh, I'm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not point, just talking. <laughs> at this point, I'll probably just put like an explicit thing because that's the easiest thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the easiest thing to do here. Um, yeah, but yeah, all that stuff that went down. You can see that I'm clearly carrying some demons with me from this whole experience. But, um, you know, just all the things that that went down with. The, the plane ride to Toronto and how he was reportedly and Ross Atkins was, was tuned into the winter meetings from a mystery location. No one knew where he was, but he wasn't, he wasn't in Nashville for the meetings and just all the people tracking planes and stuff. And then, you know, there was that JP Hornstra, the writer for the Dodgers who said, yep, I am fully in my belief that Shohei is signing with the, with the blue Jays. And right until the very end, when he announced he was signing with the Dodgers himself, uh, people were kind of hooked on board at that. So I told myself for throughout those entire negotiations until that stuff with the plane happened that I wasn't going to get on board with the thought of him coming to Toronto, but I'm a Toronto sports fan. That's what I do. I get my heart broken. So um, I eventually fell back into favor and uh, I started buying into the hype and Shohei might be coming to Toronto. And then of course it didn't happen. So um, it feels like there's been no free agents signing anywhere in baseball so far. And I mean, pitchers and catchers report is pretty soon. So I don't really know what the holdup is. I know we were talking a little bit off air about how uh, it could be, it honestly could be the work of Scott Boris, but uh, I think right now more than anything else, they just got to fill out the spots because they may have had all their chips uh, presented forward for Shohei, but Shohei is not playing anywhere other than LA right now. So you gotta, you gotta still address those holes. Yeah, and LA's offseason in general has just been insane. Uh, like over a billion dollars, and they're not gonna. It's all yeah. almost all deferred. It's, yeah, it's 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 borderline illegal. I'm shocked. I mean, technically, it is legal. As weird it is as it legal, is. but it's border. That's why I said borderline. It's it feels yeah. like it shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure at some point when they go into CBA negotiations and all that, they're gonna be like, okay, we we can't keep doing this. This doesn't make sense. Like, imagine if the Maple Leafs could do that. <laughs> like, yeah, we'll we'll have to see. It'll it, it's it, it's being a Toronto sports fan is a life of pain. I think you know that. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like it's worse for the Blue Jays just because they represent the entire country. So yeah. they get like, so they get basically brought into everything because you have the Vancouver media, the Montreal media, the Toronto media, the like Edmonton and Calgary media all on this one place. Uh, I know you don't really follow basketball as much, but I'm sure it's the same thing with the Raptors. Yeah. <laughs> they're just like, there's just going to be tied to everything because somewhere, someone somewhere is going to be like, Hey, that sounds like a good idea and write it and put it out. So <laughs> it, 
that's the rough thing about having one team in a country. Yeah, I know. And uh, everyone kind of associates the whole country with that team when that when when that happens. So um definitely puts the spotlight on you a little bit more and uh, makes things tough when you're playing in a lead league with largely Americans. But um, I mean, that's just, uh, that's just the way it is. And that's the way that things are set up. So. I will say as a Reds fan, I do hope the blue Jays signed Joey Votto just as I like would, a bench player. I would love that. I would, I would love that. Even if he only comes in once every couple games as a pinch hitter, I'd love to have Joey in Toronto. Yeah. It just, makes so much sense just give him a chance to play not only for his hometown team but meaningful games later in the year as well mm -hmm. so well i think at that point we're pretty much out of time for today uh should definitely do this again sometime and yeah we should there's definitely gonna be a lot going on um like i said the blue jays are about to get underway the maple leafs are being the maple leafs uh <laughs> gonna be doing their thing yeah getting into the playoffs here soon and then seeing what they can do that's always the key for them um yep they have here's a question for you real quick before you go off the air if they don't get past the first round this year is sheldon keep going yeah absolutely because kyle dubas is not gm anymore brad true living has all of his bullets he's definitely going to use one of them on sheldon keith and then we'll see sheldon keith in pittsburgh Yep. Uh, probably not, but <laughs> and hopefully Mike and 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 hopefully Mike Sullivan in Toronto. I don't know why I always get confused by the mics that were in Pittsburgh. I keep thinking Johnston Sullivan, like I, just too Dude, many mics. I almost said I almost said Mike Johnston. I hesitated there because I almost <laughs> said Mike Johnston too, and then I'm also mixing it, I'm mixing him up with Mike Johnston, the current or Mike Johnson, the current color commentator for TSN. So <laughs> yeah, they. Like, whoever the next coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins is needs to not be named Mike. Yeah. Have a different name, or, please. Or, I mean, who knows? Just go for it. Let's have three mics in a row. Why not? <laughs> anyway, that's all we got time for for today. Uh, I'm going to have episode two coming out here shortly. The guest for that one will be Jonathan Field with the racing experts. So we'll be talking some motorsports over there. And then, Alex, go ahead and give a shout out where they can find you, all your information, and all that. Yeah, uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, I'm not calling it by its current name. Uh, I'm on Twitter at A Hobson Media, where you can find a lot of my sports ramblings. Uh, I'm the managing editor for the Leafs Nation of the Nation Network, so you can find all my content over there. I do some writing for them as well. And uh, my podcast, Sticks in the Six, uh, we just recorded an episode a couple days ago, and uh, we're back in the swing of things in the New Year's. So maybe maybe next time the Sharks are in the news, we'll have you on that show, Will. We'll, uh, I'll have you return the favor, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll chat more. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be soon with the amount of pieces they have to move the trade deadline. So yep. we'll got something going on. Uh, yeah, but we'll – and also, one last shout-out for Alex, his band No Service. Be sure to check them <laughs> Thank out you. as well. No problem. If you're in the uh, greater Toronto area, be sure to check them out. And then that's all we got time for tonight, as I say, for the third time. Uh, <laughs> so have a great one, and we'll see you guys next time. Music used is Feeling Good by Kevin McLeod with Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. More information in the description.